It's good to be with you. Uh, Pastor Chris could be here today, but in deference and in concern for church family, he thought it would be best. Uh, he'd made that decision Monday. So uh, whereas a week ago he told me on Saturday he'd like me here on Sunday, I, I got a full six days. So you can just imagine what this is going to be like this morning. <laughs> if you don't know my sense of humor, just laugh when I do and it'll be good. Uh, as always, if you're... Uh, at home, online, we invite you to uh, be faithful in your giving, your tithes and offerings. You go to our website, rivers.org. There's a give, and you click, and you put a couple things in there. and It memorizes you if you, you want it to, and you just put your amount and say submit whatever, weekly, monthly, whatever you want to do. It's great. If you're here, of course, we have the basket up here to my left and your right. Uh, I want to say uh, thank you again for... Uh, your gracious uh, thoughts, comments, and gifts on our, uh, <laughs> it wasn't really our farewell Sunday, it was the week before, but most of you didn't know that, uh, but it was <laughs> when we installed Pastor Chris and Bibi, uh, you turned the uh, lunchtime into uh, a time to, to honor us, and, and we do appreciate it. Um, we haven't pastored many churches because we stay places a long time. Uh, but I will say this, of, of all the farewells we've had, that was the most thoughtful uh, farewell in, in terms of the, the comments that were made, the gifts that were given that were so specific to our family that showed that you really understand us. Now, I understand that you saw the dogs in church because um, Bailey always slept and you wondered who was snoring when I was speaking. It was Bailey. Sometimes it was me. Sometimes it was me snoring while I was speaking, um, <laughs> but anyway, that was funny right there. Um, so thank you, thank you so much, and and to the council, and I know Dale in particular had a lot to do with that, so thank you, and we appreciate it. Um, we've been in contact with your pastors throughout this week, and uh, they are doing better every day. Hello, Chris, BB, and Jazz, and Cat. I can't remember the cat's name. Uh, Cats, okay, a whole bunch of them, line up. Uh, it's, you know, they have their origins in Southern California, so today might be an interesting day for them not to be here anyway because you could have the 49er Ram thing happening and could divide the church, so we're not going to go there. He's probably texting me right now. Get off that and move on. Okay. Uh, my last formal Sunday was the last Sunday in December. And I shared with you kind of a vision uh, of what I could see if we would be responsive as a church family, what God could do. And I talked specifically about the difference that we should make. Uh, we are in a season of time when the world at large is um, disorganized, confused, distraught, disturbed, discouraged, in chaos, yes, and... We talk about Jesus is the answer and hope has a name and it's Jesus and all that. But if we as the people of God aren't significantly different, there's not going to be anything that would attract confused people to other confused people. Now, what makes us unconfused? Not something that we do, it's because of who we trust, right? So if, if you're online, don't do it now, wait till I'm done today. But, but go back and catch that. I don't remember. It was December 26, I think. 
And then, and then tie that into what I shared last week when I talked about the mysteries. There's mysteries in the Bible, and I listed a, a bunch of them. And specifically, want to get to one today. It's called the mystery of the kingdom of heaven or the mystery of the kingdom of God. And so these three go together. I didn't know I was going to do a series, but guess what? It is now a series. <laughs> Tapes are available. Um, it's a joke. We don't even have tapes. <laughs> uh, listen to these verses. Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near you. Uh, in Mark 4, 11, he says, Jesus told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Remember we talked about that last week, that that there are 72 parables that are stories that Jesus used to explain principles of the kingdom. If you want to know what the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven is like, and by the way, those phrases, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, are synonymous. Okay, they, when you hear one, it's the same as the other. Um, Jesus used 72 stories to say, here's what it's like. Here's what it's like to live in the kingdom. Here's what it's like. And then in Matthew, uh, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what is the kingdom of heaven? Uh, there have been, uh, let me do a little history. In fact, uh, if you want to sleep, do it now, but be with me in the last five minutes. Okay? I'm, I'm just telling you right now, that's the closer. There are many historical thoughts about the kingdom of heaven. Um, the Hebrew scribes, the, the people at the time of Jesus thought it was a political and territorial domain. In other words, it was going to be something to be set up, like the United States, there's going to be the kingdom of God. And it was a physical location, a domain. And, and the disciples, believe it or not, here they're following Jesus, who's saying the kingdom of heaven is near you, is within you, and all those things. And, and guess what? They thought that's what it was going to be. How do we know that? Well, in Matthew chapter 20, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on the right and one on your left. She was picturing, there's the throne, Jesus in the middle, and the top two people are right there. Picture Picture Congress, the, the, the State of the Union address. You've got two people sleeping behind the president, right? The Speaker of the House, uh, and, and you've got the, the president of the Senate. Uh, that, that's what even the disciples thought, because here's a mom that says, my boys should be the favored ones. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 1. Remember, Acts is Jesus's been crucified, he's buried, he rose again, he's spent 40 days, he's getting ready to go. And uh, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, now just to hear what he just said, stick around, the Holy Spirit's going to teach you all things. Stick around, wait for the Holy Spirit. And what are they asking? Do they get it now that he's resurrected? No, look at what they ask. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? They were still thinking, we signed up with a political leader that's going to take over, and we're going to be part of the political elite. That's what they were thinking. Now, Schweitzer uh, thought the kingdom was a spot in eternity. 
It's a future reality when time stopped and suddenly a new heavenly order began. Augustine, who's a, probably one of the most um, accomplished writers of the early church, thought it was the theocratic rule of the church over all forms of government. In other words, the, the kingdom of heaven was going to be God's principles ruling in every kind of government. Uh, for many, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is a destination. In other words, it's a place in the sky uh, reserved for us and our afterlife, for those who accept Christ while they're alive on earth. Well, let me tell you this. Number one, I think we're in the fill-in section now. The kingdom of heaven is not a New Testament idea. The kingdom of heaven is not a New Testament idea. The phrases kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven appear 80 times in the Gospels, but the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, as they mentioned, are interchangeable. And they began in the Garden of Eden. That's not New Testament, in case you were wondering. Genesis 1, 27 says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, now listen carefully, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. So here's what man was to do. Man was to, number one, subdue the earth. He was to subdue the earth. Why would you need to subdue it? Well, there must be something that is out of control. Right? You don't need to subdue something unless there's something that's, that's chaotic, that's out of control. And the second thing is that man was to exercise authority over the earth. Why was there a need to exercise authority? Because there must be rebellion. Think about it. And third, man was to enjoy intimate daily fellowship with God. Some of you are saying, uh, we've listened to you for two years and three months, and you always go back to Genesis 2 and 3, because that's, that's where it all began. Everything that we engage in Christians today, the battles that we face all began in Genesis 2 and 3. Here was man's rule. Here was man's direction. Here's what God said, I want you to do. Multiply, subdue, exercise authority, and walk with me every day. And what did man do? If you don't know Genesis 3 by then, by now, I don't know what to say other than man gave away all of those roles to who? To Satan. And what was the role of Jesus? To return all of the things that were stolen from man back to man. That's what it's all about. We were to enjoy intimate daily fellowship with God. So God gave man two rules of the garden or two rules of the kingdom. Number one was rule and subdue. And the second was don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good or evil. In Genesis 2, 15 through 17, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. 
But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So here's what happened. Man was given two rules. Two rules. And that gave us two choices on how to live life and exercise our God-given authority. Now listen, this phrase, please, please, please listen to what I'm going to say. To exercise our God-given authority in a sinless yet not perfect world. I want you to think about that. In a sinless but not perfect world. Why was the world not perfect? It was imperfect because evil was present. Did you hear me? I didn't say evil was in them. I just said evil was present. How do I know? Because evil was talking to man. Yes? Evil was tempting man. When God said that we were to rule over and subdue, what had happened? Let's go back way, way before we showed up on this planet. Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you think he created things that were good? Then why in Genesis 1-2 is it such chaos that the Holy Spirit has to splash in there and bring form and order to chaos? Well, because there was a war in heaven. There was a war in heaven and somebody and one-third of the heavenly hosts got cast down. And where did they get cast down? To earth. And when they arrived here, guess what they brought? Chaos. Do you hear me? And so we come in, and God is saying, I, I want you to get this. If you get this, it, it'll, it'll change your life. It'll change, you'll understand why you live and why you're living in the season of time that you're living in. And you'll understand your purpose. God puts man on the earth and says, I want you to enforce the authority of the kingdom of heaven. And if you don't know how to do it, we'll meet every evening. We'll go for a walk. Bring your three-by-five cards with all your questions and I'll tell you, because I have all knowledge and all wisdom and all insight, and I'll tell you what you need to do to enforce the kingdom of heaven on this planet and to defeat the works of the adversary. I'm going to let you enforce the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear me? So man was given, this is number two, was given a kingdom choice. We had two choices on how to live life and exercise our God-given authority. Now listen to what these are. They're so profound. First is the tree of life. And when we choose the tree of life, notice that God didn't say, don't eat of the tree of life because you'll live forever. He didn't say, he said, feel free. Feel free. Because the tree of life is choosing a kingdom based on harmony of God, of man and creation, in which Man openly embraces the light, and everybody works together. It's eternal and allows for a man to walk in close relationship with God. And God, being all-knowing, could talk to us about what we don't know, which was pretty much everything. They didn't have the Internet. That was funny right there. You see, choosing, choosing the tree of life means that we're choosing a tree or choosing a life that uh, is based on faith and it's based on trust and on believing and it's based on not seeing or not comprehending. 
And in this, God will give us what we need to subdue the earth and overcome spiritual darkness as well as attacks from Satan and his minions. That was one choice. What was the other? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is a kingdom based on knowledge, desire, and relationship with darkness. He said, I don't want you to go there. Please don't go there. Choose the tree of life, a kingdom based on harmony of God, man, and creation. But what did we do? We chose the kingdom of knowledge of good and evil. This was a kingdom based on comprehension and fact, not faith. Yes? And they were told that this tree was going to be good. The lie of Satan was it was going to be good for food. Guess what that made it? It made it a sensual kingdom, a kingdom based on the senses. You're going to enjoy the taste of this. You're going to enjoy what you experience. Well, obviously, they didn't. You see, experience became the reality. And they were also told that, go ahead, it will make you as wise as God. So you see, we have a choice. A kingdom based on our faith and our relationship with God, or a kingdom based on knowledge, what we understand. Do you see why that might be a problem? Do you understand why we are where we are in 2022? They were told it was going to be beautiful to look at. But here's what it was. It was a kingdom that was temporal. It was filled with the idea, listen to this, that man could solve his own problems. How's that working for you? Until the leaders of this state and of this nation stand up and say, we've tried everything we know to do, and it's not working. We need to pray and ask God to help us in this situation because we don't know what to do. Until that happens, there will not be a change. There's a reliance on knowledge, which is proven to be false. I've kept a little record book. You don't want me to go into it. You'd say, now you're, you're meddling. But I've listened to every one of those daily press conferences where hair and teeth has told us, if you just do this, it'll fix it. Guess what? It hasn't. When you rely on what you know, God will say, well, let's talk about that. Or man, I'll just sit back and see how you're doing. This is where the church rises up. And spiritually, take off your mask, people, and pray. And ask God to change the atmosphere. Ask God to change the hearts of our leaders. Ask God to change the hearts of the people over our cities. Ask God to change the hearts of people that come into our churches or watch online, that they become active participants in the kingdom of heaven. I see Chris right now. He's out pumping weights and jumping up and down saying, Go, Mark, go. You see, the problem with the tree of knowledge and good and evil is this man doesn't need God to succeed. In fact, here's what we're told today. God is holding us back. I'm meddling a lot today, but anyway, it's my last time until the next time. Uh, the, 
Here's the differences of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of, of this world. The kingdom of heaven is the highest kingdom of all kingdoms, both natural and supernatural. It's a spiritual kingdom that affects and impacts the lesser physical kingdoms. It's a rule here that comes to, to bring about change and impacts the physical realm in which we live. Guess what else the kingdom of heaven does? It exposes the covert nature of darkness. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. It destroys darkness in every form, both physical and spiritual. And ultimately, it's about returning God and man to the original relational structure. That's what the kingdom of heaven is about. So you'll say, okay, what are the steps to establish the kingdom? I'm on point four. I had five pages of notes. I'm doing great. I'm watching the clock. I got 13 minutes. Well, would you agree with me that earthly kingdoms generally are established by force? And would you agree that earthly kingdoms impose law and enforce law, enforce the will of the sovereign? Do you see that's all external? I talked about that last week. Well, what are the necessary steps to establish the kingdom of God? Well, in Luke 11, it says, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, before there could be a campaign for a kingdom establishment, there had to be something that took place, and that is the sacrifice for sin must precede the kingdom campaign. The sacrifice for sin. Hebrews uh, chapter 9 says it this way, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That's you and that's me. Why did we need there to be a sacrifice for sin? Well, because we had violated God's law. And whenever there was sin, there had to be atonement or a payment that had to be made. And guess what? For many of us, that had been like every day. Imagine you're in the Old Testament. I'd have just got one of my kids and said, just stay in line. Just stay in line. I'll be back. I'm sure by the time you get to the front, I'll have done something. But Jesus came to be a sacrifice for sin so that the kingdom of heaven could come and live in our hearts. Luke chapter 24, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here, he's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. And then they remembered what he had said. Why was this step necessary? Why did Jesus have to live on earth, live a sinless life, be crucified, dead, and buried? Why? Because it made the second step possible. Listen to this. Through the blood of Jesus, atonement is made. Atonement is made. Payment is made. Covering is made. And the chains of Satan, the tyrant, who now is in control of everything, could be broken. Now, what is atonement? Well, the Hebrew word, Kafar means to cover, purge, make reconciliation, or cover over. 
And it could be translated in, in um, many different versions as appease, atone, cancel, or forgive. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, I know there's a lot of history here, Exodus 25 talked about the fact that there would be an ark that would be finished. Not the boat, but the thing that would carry the tablets of stone. And that would be the terms of the covenant agreement that God had made with man. And then he said, make a cover, and guess what that's going to be called? The place of atonement. What's going to cover the law? A place of atonement. And what's going to be sprinkled on that place of atonement? The blood of sacrifice. Now translate that into heaven. What's going to be sprinkled on the thing that covers our sins? The blood of the sacrifice. Who is that sacrifice? It's Jesus. Exodus 26 and 29 all talk about that. And in Romans chapter 3, I know I've skipped a couple on the outline there. Sorry about that. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's you and that's me. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who? All. But then it says, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Remember, atonement is the, the cover on the ark. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. How does that sacrifice cover you? You receive it by faith. Did you hear me? You receive it by faith, not by what you do. You receive it by faith. That's why what we believe is more important than what we do, because our beliefs will then guide our actions. Do you understand if you trust your ability to do right, that you're really saying that, you know what, Satan's way is the way. That we don't need God. I can get there. Well, guess what? We can't. He did this to demonstrate to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he left the sins committed before unpunished. He did it just to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Now, what's the third step? Well, the third step would be to destroy the work of the evil one and establish a means whereby man could live a righteous life. The thing that you're unable to do within yourself because the sacrifice of Jesus and by your placing your faith in him, he says, guess what? I'm going to impute or give to you, it's going to show up in your bank account, my righteousness. You put your phone up to your face, you look up there and it tells you normally you see $6.82 and suddenly you see unlimited balance because what? The righteousness of God has been credited to your account. 1 John 3, 8 says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. 
Why are all these, please join me back if you've been sleeping. Why are these steps necessary? Without heart transformation, liberated people will always return to bondage. Without heart transformation, liberated people will always return to bondage. Some guy around here did a whole series on I Am Moses. The exodus of Israel illustrates that if you deliver people from bondage without changing their heart, people will always return to their old way of thinking and their old way of acting. And when they return to their old way and thinking and acting, guess what? They've returned to bondage. Because that guy that did that series always said, a bondage is a house of thoughts. When we talk about deliverance from bondage, we're talking about being freed from a way of thinking. That's what's so amazing that our thoughts can keep us in bondage. It's this simple. It's this simple. When you face something, you have a response or reaction. Your response is generally reasoned. You think through it. Okay, what should I, uh, here's this, I need to, to think about this. That's why sometimes counting to 10 helps. Or in my case, about 152 seems to get me into the reason stage. Right? What needs to happen? I need to, to function there. The other is to react. It's what you feel is the way you should go. Well, what's the problem? You, you face problem A. And you say, oh, here's what I'm going to do. And what's the outcome? Bad. So go down the road another year, six months, three months, two weeks, day, two hours. Face problem A, part two. Let's see, it didn't work when I reacted last time. Let's try that same thing again. That's what a bondage is. It's a house of thoughts. Friends, hear me. I love you. And I'm being very pastoral today. Please allow Jesus to transform your thoughts by replacing what you feel with what you know the Word says about you and what the Word says you should do. Hear me. Hear me. You know, I grew up in church. I sat right there for many years because mom played right here. Fortunately, dad didn't sing, so that helped us. But my mom could play the piano and lead the choir and still snap her finger if I was doing something on the front row. 
One was warning, two was, well, you may meet Jesus before Sunday lunch. And I did. Guess what? Liberated people, if they don't have a heart change, always return to bondage. Bondage is a house of thoughts. But why did God send his son? He sent his son to change the heart of man. And the heart has to be changed before the final visible evidence of the kingdom would come on earth. Now Jesus had a sevenfold mission to implement the kingdom. Aren't you grateful for these things? Number one, he changed how mankind thought about the Father. You wondered why I told the story. Well, because I viewed God like my mother. He was at the big piano in the sky, playing and leading the choir, and snapping his fingers at me if I did something wrong. That's how I viewed him. I viewed him as just looking for me to make a mistake so that he could whack me and say, I told you not to do that. Now, please don't pick on my mother. She loved me dearly, and we, she, she apologized to me many times. We were taught wrong, and we raised you wrong regarding how the kingdom should be viewed. That was a very liberating day, by the way, when she said that to me. Jesus came to change how we view the Father. Why? Because up to then we viewed the Father as this lawgiver and judge who was just looking for an opportunity to get his judgment hammer out and hit you on the head. And Jesus shows up. And who's he hanging out with? Yuba City. Yeah, Marysville. Linda, and let's go down to Sacramento. Rio, Linda. Okmogee, Oklahoma. Muskogee. That's who he hung out with. Why did he do that? Those were the people that were viewed as lesser. As not fully human. As certainly not gifted and blessed. And who does he run around with? Tax collectors and sinners and fishermen and average everyday Joes. People that have anger issues like Peter, James, and John. He said, well, we know about Peter. What about James and John? Do you know what their nickname was? Sons of Thunder. Thunder wasn't their dad. Jesus came to implement the kingdom, and to do that, he had to change how we viewed the Father. 
Second, he must live a sinless life in order to repeal the earthly sovereignty of Satan. Really quickly, man was given dominion over the earth when he was placed on the garden. Man gave it up to Satan when we sinned and chose the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And for 4,000 years, Satan was in charge, and he had the right to be in charge. And Jesus shows up, and he lives an innocent life. And the biggest mistake that Satan and his minions in using man at that time was to crucify a sinless man because God in his justice says, guess what? What you have is no longer yours because you have, have violated divine justice, authority, which you rightfully got because man gave it to you. I'm taking it from you, and I'm giving it to Jesus. And Jesus says, guess what? I didn't get that for me. He said, all authority has been given to me. What? So that you can do. Some guy here preached for weeks on power and authority. I'm selling all my tapes. That's why Jesus came. Number three, Jesus would provide a way to atone for sin and redeem the world. Number four, he would demonstrate how the kingdom destroys the works of the evil one. You'll say, well, you talk about overcoming the works of the evil one. I don't know how to do it. Just study Jesus. If you want to know where it starts, look at his battle right after his baptism. Forty days, it's pretty rough out there. He's starting to hallucinate seeing golden arches, two-for-one Big Mac deal, free fries Friday. Some of you didn't know about all those things. Get the app, you'll, it'll tell you every day what you can get for free. And what happens? Satan comes, and what's he do every time? He's tempted, and what's he respond? It is written. He didn't respond, and here's how I feel. Boy, that rock looks a lot like a quarter pounder. It's a double. He came to demonstrate how the kingdom destroys the works of the evil one. Number five, he would prepare the way for the Holy Spirit to come and impregnate the world with the leaven of the kingdom of heaven. Number six, he would live a life that would repeal or reveal to mankind how they might express the kingdom of heaven while they're alive on earth. And listen to this. He would promote righteousness as the first requirement of this kingdom. The kingdom of heaven would expand at the rate of the expansion of righteousness. Here's what's great about righteousness. It's a gift. Paul said it best, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Notice I didn't say we earn the righteousness of God. That it is imputed or given to us. So here's my conclusions. Please wake up at home. The prophets, like Joel, 
understood that the coming of the kingdom of heaven would take place in the last days. In those last days, all flesh would receive revelation like prophets of old. Well, let's see. Joel said that in Joel 2. Afterward, I'll pour my spirit out on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. If you remember, until this time when Jesus left the earth, the Holy Spirit only came down to specific people or at specific times. And Joel sees into the future and says there's going to be a day, and it will tell you God's calendar. It'll be the end of days. That the Holy Spirit will be available for all people. The young and the geezers. Acts 2 says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There was some guy here that did a teaching on that. Ask God to fill you with his spirit. You need it. Now listen to this. The secular world has redefined knowledge to remove God's kingdom from man's thinking. People pursuing the knowledge of God and spiritual life are portrayed as unenlightened, foolish, ignorant. Spiritual things are unscientific and they're unpredictable. And guess what? This thinking is a result of choosing knowledge over life. Before God can advance his kingdom in you, he must change your heart. Without heart change, people return to bondage. Jesus came to change the heart of man, to remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, and I'll give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17, for those of you that says, well, that was Old Testament. If anyone is in Christ, New creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. If seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Conclusion number four. In this kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, communication between God and man increases why? Because the Holy Spirit is now available to every believer, not just the prophet, the priest, or the king. Any believer can enjoy the outpouring of the Spirit, experience dreams, visions, and perform the miraculous. Did you hear what I said? Every believer Well, I was there and someone needs to pray. We better call the pastor. You're there. Pray. Now, you need support? Call Chris. 1-800-LIFTING-PASTOR. That was a joke. I don't think that's his number. 
to think that we can enjoy the outpouring of the Spirit, having dreams, visions, and perform the miraculous. Why? Because we have a new heart, which is my last conclusion. With a new heart, you're ready to advance the kingdom. What's the proof? You pray, and the sick are healed. You cast out demons from the demonized. By the way, don't be surprised if sometimes they show up in church. There's a story of Jesus that there was a demonized person that had been coming every week. Never felt out of place. <laughs> Jill and I have had a ministry where I had a person sitting literally right here. They kept interrupting me. And it wasn't a big show. We just stopped. We addressed the person. Said, would you like to be freed? We prayed, and then I finished the teaching. You'll cleanse lepers. And as you do these things, as you pray, the sick are healed, as the demonic is sent packing, and the lepers are cleansed, you tell everyone that the kingdom of heaven has come near them and is available to live in them. That was a lot to absorb. That's a recap of my 26 or 7 months. <laughs> Did I miss any series? Um, just joke. God has placed the rivers 31 years ago, I think, in this community. Not to be a group of people huddling in a room, begging Jesus to come, terrified of what's outside. But he calls the people to be a light in a community. He calls us to be the representation of his kingdom in this community. If I'm living out there, I'm living in chaos. Do you know, we have people, we live in an apartment complex, I think you know that. We have some people in the next... The other side of the wall, I don't think I've been out of the house since they were told to shelter in place. We have other, other friends that, for the first time in two years, saw some of their family. Not the O'Connells. We met for every holiday because it's what we do. <laughs> COVID has revealed the fact that many live in fear. Now, I'm not saying being stupid. I'm not saying, oh, go find a, a culture of COVID and lick it to just see how brave. That's stupidity. You, you, understand, you understand what I'm saying. We don't do stupid things. But what is going to testify to our community that we're walking in faith, that we're living in hope, 
that we're living under the blessing of God. That we in this season, which I believe is judgment, can also live under blessing. What would attract an unbeliever to you? It's different over there. If you're living in Egypt and you go, man, it's dark here and there's frogs and you look over at Goshen, the sun's out, they're tanning, it's having a grand old time. Now, unlike the children of Israel, we're not put over in a separate area, but you know God can bless your house. And he can bless your family in the midst of all of this. I think I'm safe to say this. We're at, we've added 1.5 grandchildren during this. All right, there's an announcement there. You can figure it out. When so many people are afraid, we're not afraid. Because our life and our future is in the hands of God. And he said that he'd never leave us. That he'd never forsake us. And so we walk in faith. Faith is how we think. It's how we believe. Then that, that leads our actions. Be different, Rivers. Be different than the way everyone else lives. And your light will shine, and you will be a place and a people that attract people that are just saying, I need help. I don't know what to do. Dale, you seem so calm. Well, let me introduce you to my friend. And they'll say, but I can't measure up. Neither can I. Let me tell you some stories. No, let's not. Amen? I haven't done this, but why not today? And if I've done something wrong, Chris will correct it next week because he's your pastor. I mean that seriously. If you want to be that person that lives a life that's different, I want you to stand to your feet. If you want to be the person that his righteousness can be revealed in you and through you, stand to your feet. Guess what? Larry's texting me right now. <laughs> Shut up and get off the stage. Uh, just, just teasing. It doesn't matter what you have done. This is a checkbook moment. You know what I'm talking about? If you know me, you know this story well enough. Sometimes you can't get the account to balance. You just put a line there and say, I'm going with that number. In your life, put a line there. Who cares what you did last week? Who cares how discouraged you were in the car on the way here? 
Put a line there and say, I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to believe that the righteousness of God has been imputed to me, and I can be different, and I can be a light, and I can represent his kingdom in this place, and I'll represent it in my family and in my work and everywhere I go. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for those that are standing here in this room and standing at home or lifting their hands or putting it on the TV or the computer. Jesus, impute your righteousness to us, which you already have, and let us have a sense of your purpose, of your grace, of your power, that we are truly loved and that you want to bless us and allow us to live under the, the umbrella of your protection and grace that we'll be a different people, that we'll be a people whose life attracts others to you, that we will see the kingdom of heaven advance and advance forcefully because we'll pray. We'll pray for the sick and they'll be healed. We'll pray for the oppressed and they'll be liberated. We'll pray for those that are possessed and they'll be set free. We'll pray for those under bondage to drugs and evil thinking and other behaviors that keep them in habitual actions. Lord, that thinking be broken. You'll give us the ability to pray the words of liberation that their thoughts will change and their actions will change and they'll recognize by placing their faith in you that their whole life will change. God, we believe that. We ask you to do it through us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you and have a great, great week.